And again, short answer is yes. I think that we are very close, not there, but very close. In my high school, I got kids that, um, based on how they identify with gender, they asked to sit out of conversations that have to do with gender. So let's put my own perspective on gender ideology out. Let's put yours out. Let's look at what I just said. High school seniors that want to sit out of a conversation because gender is being discussed. They're running, they're fleeing. And when we do that, you don't get a seat at the table. Your voice isn't heard. Nobody knows your perspective. Nobody knows your triumphs. Nobody knows your hurts. There's no way to fix anything. We just run and we hide. Well, who taught that person to do that? What parent would teach that? Luke Grimm, welcome back to the Dad Hat. How are you? Lee, thanks for having me back on the dad hat. I'm doing pretty well, man. I'm on my third cup of coffee. It's 1115. It's probably too much, but I'm drinking it. Wow, dude. Coffee is uh, is uh, good for the soul. <laughs> I, I would say coffee made me the man I am today, but too much creamer adds to the gut too. So I, I don't know. You know, what's funny. Uh, an old, an old, wasn't my dad, old pastor told me back in the day that, you know, you shouldn't drink anything that you're not willing to take a bath in. I think I would take a bath and coffee. So I think we're good. Yeah. Coffee's used for plenty of things uh, in the medical field. too. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll move on from that. Uh, <laughs> for those of you listening, Luke Grimm is, uh, uh, he has a website, these 16 things.com, uh, helping out parents and, um, helping out kids move out from the house and doing a lot of great things. And uh, you mentioned your father already, and that's kind of what we're, we're here to talk about today. Um, so my first question is, uh, give us a, a summary. Who was your father, Luke? Yeah. So it's funny. In, in 2023, everything's like um, identity and what boxes do we check? And we put each, put each other in groups and categories. So it's hard to pin down an identity for someone that's so important in our lives. So... Yeah, he, I'd have to ask him where he was born. I think North Dakota. So my dad was raised in a household. He uh, he was the third out of nine kids. So a pretty large family, right? It was he was the third. Uh, he had two brothers ahead of him. Uh, his grand his dad was uh, in the Air Force for a while. Uh, then his dad spent a couple decades in the Border Patrol. So he was kind of in that house and that structure um, with a lot of discipline. Uh, there was clear right and wrong, but it probably meant that dad was out working some long hours. So that gives kids some freedom. So I'm trying to picture, you know, how my, how my dad developed, but yeah, so he, he did a lot of moving around. He eventually finished high school and he joined the military at the age of uh, 21 or 22. And so he joined the coast guard, served almost 28 years. So when I was born, he was probably in his second or third year being in the coast guard. So I grew up in the, in the military household as well. And it was like that for all 18 years coming up underneath my dad. Um, so a lot of structure, a lot of discipline, but not, but not the bad kind of discipline. Some people see on TVs, no beating me uh, and none of that verbal talking down, just a lot of structure. Um, I, I knew what to expect. I knew how he would respond to things. Um, so I could anticipate, uh, he, he wouldn't catch me by surprise. Uh, and I, so I, I will definitely remember my dad and he's still alive. We have a great relationship, but, um, uh, very much structure, uh, but a lot of 
grace and forgiveness in the house as well. Is that possible, Lee, to, to have structure and grace and compassion? Do those go together? Of course it does. Of, of course it's possible. Uh, it sounds like an accomplishment for sure, uh, because it's probably not the easiest thing to do. Um, having a routine and structure and discipline, but also having a caring outlook on your kid's life. I think that's a huge accomplishment. So you've, you've said structure and discipline quite a bit. Uh, what did that do for your, for your mental state when you were a kid or a teenager? Does that, does that make it easier to, um, you know, be a kid or a teenager? Does it make it harder? Um, tell me about that. Yeah. Um, I think part of it also has to do with the individual kid. So I, uh, I would push back against structure. <laughs> I, I would push back against uh, some of that stuff and, and just go do some stupid things. I, I don't mean just immature. I just mean dumb. Uh, so I think part of this also stems, there's another variable in here. Uh, so my mom left when I was in about fifth grade. So I, I remember my brother and I, we would sometimes, you know, mom's gone and dad's at work and, and uh, we'd kind of look around the house and she would leave a couple notes on the pillow kind of talking about, Hey, this is, I mean, we read some of these notes she left for him. That's tough as a, as a fifth grader. My brother was in six. Um, it's not the kids. We don't want the kids thinking it's their fault, this and that, but man, my, my mom just, she left. She had other things she wanted to do in life. And so it was a reverse situation generally where the, the dad leaves. So my dad was a single dad for a few years, raising two boys. Uh, my brother's about, he was a, a year and a half older than me. And so maybe that's part of the reason I started pushing back because I don't think structure and discipline by itself is bad. I, I really can't picture a scenario where having structure in life is bad. And I can't picture a scenario where holding people to task and consequences is bad either. Um, but I think uh, my dad working long hours, I just found freedom just, just to go out and do dumb things. So yeah, in middle school, we we're living uh, in the Baltimore and Washington DC area. And my brother and I, uh, we, we would sneak out at night and just cause trouble. We would break stuff. We would damage stuff. Uh, at one time we caused $4,800 worth of damage at the high school slash middle school, just busting out windows, um, just setting like tennis nets on fire. Um, and, and I didn't have a reason, man. If you ask me, Hey dude, put down on paper why you did those things. I couldn't. I really could not. I wasn't mad at anybody. There was no mental health issue. I just, I had, I just wanted to go do dumb stuff. Um, and it wasn't until leaving uh, after eighth grade, we, we went from Maryland out to Hawaii. We got stationed in Hawaii uh, that I was able to leave some of those bad influencers behind. Cause I, mean, I was about to get popped up on drugs. I think some of the guys I was with when I was in eighth grade already smoking weed. And, and I don't think it would have been long till I would have gotten in that. So so while I maybe rebelled against some things like uh, structure, at the same time, the military moving us was a blessing. It got me away from some of the bad elements. Well, uh, it sounds like the the structure at home and you being influenced in Baltimore and the Maryland area, you know, are might be two separate things. I think first off that I definitely went through a rebellious era in my life, like, and and I'm I'm quite sure that. Uh, th that's something that, that happens with most, you know, 12 to 20 year old male Americans. I think that a rebellious stage is, is part of it. So the structure piece to me is something I wish I had more of when I was, you know, a kid. 
you know, my dad was a single parent basically and worked a lot trying to make something of himself, wasn't given anything, that type of upbringing. Um, and you know, I was kind of free to do whatever I wanted. And I did follow those bad influences that you're talking about for sure. I mean, it's a no doubter. Um, you know, we're, we're the average of the five people we see the most. And those were the people I saw the most. So, you know, it's a, it's a rough thing to, to have happen. So, but back to your father, what sort, what sort of values and principles did he have, or does he have? So my dad has, I'm going to use the word evolved. I am. I think that he has evolved over this time. Um, I don't know when he really found the desire to dig into faith. I should ask him that one day. I said, Dad, what point? Because I remember he'd bring us to church, but I couldn't remember any of the churches. I don't think we stayed for very long. Uh, did a lot of church hop, and that's my recollection all the way up to high school. So something in high school, I think, changed. Um, he also got remarried, so I'm, I'm certain that, that, that that helped as well. But the values and principles that he would hold true, um, gosh, integrity. I, I think I've never strayed away from his integrity piece. Uh, when we screw up, it's on us. When somebody else does something well, they get the credit, not you. Um, <laughs> you know, another, another thing about integrity that stuck with me for, for years from him as well is when someone says, man, you got to have integrity. You got to be honest. It's funny. We throw integrity and honest back to back and we start to put them as, you know, going together. But I would like an integrity as that of the hole on a ship, the integrity of a ship, the hole, um, the Titanic, right? When it sunk, it's because the, the integrity of the hole was compromised. And this massive ship that could do all these great things, um, punch a couple holes in it and it cannot recover. It wasn't able to recover from that breach and its integrity of the hole. So I, I've, I've stuck with that. And I don't think he ever said that outright, but he definitely left me with that. Um, so it's not just being honest in one moment, uh, Lee, you and I've actually talked about how it, it, it's a lifetime of things, not just one instance of a memory, but a lifetime of things kind of help develop who we are. And so I, I think our, 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 integrity comes from a lifetime of, of doing all these right things. My dad stuck that with me. Um, so when I raise my kids now, I realize, um, they're going to remember a decade of how it felt in the house. They're going to forget tons of stuff. I said, they're going to forget tons of consequences and discipline and lectures and all this stuff, but they will remember, um, the overall feel of the house. I, that's something you stuck with, with me for the integrity. Yeah. Okay. You, you almost describe it as if, uh, you're describing character. Like it's almost a, um, uh, a set of, or a skill where you evaluate the situation and you try to make the, the correct decision and you and, and the process of the evaluations over time and all the scenarios where you've made the right choice or the wrong choice over time creates this integrity of who am I and what character do I do I want to have? And that uh, becomes the most important thing about you and, and holding those principles near and dear no matter what the situation, when it's easy to do the wrong thing, when it's easy to do, you know, uh, the right thing, no matter what you, you do the right thing. So that's, that's, uh, that's powerful right there. Yeah. And 
anyone listening, think about the last time you went to a memorial service, a funeral service, a wake, and maybe it's in a church. And, you know, there's the open casket, open coffin. You know, people can come in, say their last respects. And a lot of times they're going to have up on the big screen kind of like a, a PowerPoint of just kind of cycling through maybe some pictures. Maybe there's some music playing. And people are remembering that person. It's a legacy. That's kind of the word we're looking for, the legacy. Well, when my dad does pass, uh, he is uh, 68 right now. When he does pass and he's up there and he's, he's got these pictures going, I don't think anyone's going to remember the one time he told the truth. The one time he did the right thing. The one time he didn't will stand out and they're going to forget the 99 he did right. But people are going to remember a sense that he was a man that would hold the values. He was a man that would hold the principles. He knew how to apologize. He knew when to say, I'm sorry. He knew when to say grace, but he also knew when to hold people's feet to the fire. Um, and that you just can't get that in a day or a week or a month. It's a lifetime. And I, I like how you mentioned, uh, we, it just, it just takes time to do this, man. And my dad left, um, his mark on me that I want to be that guy that is teaching my kids about honesty, uh, about forgiveness, about grace, about consequences, and that it takes a lifetime to build this. I don't know, man, it, it's complex and it's tough, but it's, no, it seems complex. There's so much built into this, Lee. It's hard to nail it down. If it, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. You know, everybody would be great at being a father. Everybody would be great at being a, a great human, a great uh, citizen, a great whatever. If it was easy, we wouldn't have any problems. So that's what, that's what makes it great. That's what makes it great is because it's hard. It's hard. And um, listen to you talk earlier about some of your parenting, man. If we're intentional, we can do this. But we, I, I believe this comment. You can accidentally walk into being overweight. You cannot accidentally lose the weight. You can accidentally walk into debt and credit card debt. You can't accidentally get out of debt. And here's another example. You cannot accidentally walk into a great relationship with your dad. And as a dad, you can't accidentally have a good one with your kid. It takes intentionality, man. Same thing with our, with our husbands and wives. You can't accidentally have a good marriage, man. It takes work. But if we're intentional, man... Good times. That's actually part of the big reason not to uh, me and my wife got together or I was very intrigued by my wife when first meeting her was not only was she um, uh, trying to evolve herself and become the, the best version of herself possible, which I was on that same journey, uh, but she was also intentional or wanting to be intentional about having a, a husband and creating that relationship. And I was like, you know what? So do I. I want to I want to be intentional about having a wife and about having a good relationship and about being a good father and a good husband. You know, so it does. Intentionality is, you know, not all of it, but it's a lot of it. I mean, if you're intentional about something, that means you're focused on improving it, uh, focused on what, uh, you know, defining it, evaluating it. And all of those things are necessary to for a successful marriage, for a successful, you know, fatherhood. Um, it's, it's very necessary. Uh, there was a Toby Mac song. Uh, I don't know if you know who he is a uh, singer. Uh, some of his lyrics is uh, I want to be a daddy who's in the mix. Now I want to be a husband who stays legit. And every time I hear this song and waiting for those lines, I'm like, America needs to hear this more. Can we be intentional as fathers? And can we be intentional as husbands? Cause it's not easy, man. 
it's not. But uh, if we if we I don't know, wake up in the morning, go use the bathroom, go get some coffee, say today, today's the day I'm going to be legit as a husband or today's the day I'm going to spend 10 minutes straight with one of my kids. Man, we can make some progress in our families. Yeah. So you mentioned just now. uh, So being intentional for you as a father is spending a focused even if it's 10 minutes with your, your son or daughter, uh, being focused on whatever the case is, is that what, is that what you're saying? It is. Um, my, my buddy, uh, he put together these 16 things and I'm just long for the ride. He put out a, a video. It's on YouTube for this week's lesson, but this week's lesson has to do with teaching our kids not to put themselves in compromising positions. So I'm going to tell you about intentionality in a second. Let me just explain the 30 second video. So he's got a whole bunch of kids at his house. My kids had to sleep over too. And, and he's like, Hey, what are you going to do? Well, dad, 12 year old boy, I'm going to go to the, the house over there where the parents are going to have a party. Sounds great. No, what could go wrong there? Sweetheart, what are you going to do? Well, I'm just going to go walk down the road late at night in the city. What could go wrong with that? Sounds good, sweetheart. What about you, little man, little nine-year-old dude? Well, there, there's a a white van parked out front, giving away candy at night. I should go get some. So go, go for it. And so it's a sarcastic video, but it's like, man, as parents, we don't want our kids to be in those positions. Okay. So that's the video. So now that my kids sat down and watched it, I'm having a conversation with them just last night. Uh, We're driving to go do something. And that's the guy, ladies, here's the deal. Um, It's not about blaming the victim because it's easy to blame the victim. Why was she wearing that? Oh, she deserved that. That's not what we're doing. But, but sweetheart, there's so many times we could prevent. We could take measures to prevent. And so I had a 15, 20 minute conversation in the car about how even me, how we can prevent things from being you know, putting ourselves in bad positions. And when we got done, I realized we're getting out of the car. I'm like, man, those 15 to 20 minutes, that, that intentional conversation, it was awkward for them because we had to talk about sexual assault with the 12 and 13 year old. But they will remember that. And I think those intentional conversations will help them. I don't know, be more careful in life. I'm so scared of having a daughter. Oh my gosh. I only have a son. He's two years old and I'm so, so afraid of having those conversations with my daughter because they're going to be necessary, you know, and it's imperative that they happen just like, you know, like you were saying, it's, they got to happen. Well, I was going to say, if we don't have those intentional conversations, who will, right? Who's going to, most people won't. Cause they're like, Oh, Lee, those are your kids. That's your job. So I won't. And then, you know, other people are like, Oh, those are Lee's kids. It's not my job. And Lee, you get done with work and you're busy and years go by. And all of a sudden our kids are 16 or 17. And it's really tough to have that conversation because they're kind of built in how they think. So yeah, there's like that, there's that, um, that age band of like 10 to 14, where I think they really need to, and they want to hear these conversations. Absolutely. I had the opportunity to be pretty intentional with my son two nights ago, me and my wife, sometimes we play chess in the evening times. And my son was, uh, you know, interested in what, what was happening that night. And, you know, the game was, was not going to happen because he was, you know, right there with us and wanting to be, I'm getting the feeling chess is a code name for husband and wife interactions. No, no, no. I wish. <laughs> I wish. But no, we were playing chess and uh, I, I had the ability to, you know, stop the game and um, teach him all of the chess pieces. And he's 28 months old and 
it was what was crazy about it is is it didn't it took 10 minutes you know he was focused the entire time you know he was like what is this i was like this is a pawn you know this is a rook this is a bishop and he can now name them with just 10 minutes of intentional you know uh focus and man it was not only uh gratifying for me to be able to pass it on to him but he was also extremely excited about learning something new and that is you know man i'm so thankful to be a father of a of a healthy kid and and all that good stuff yeah buddy and 28 months so he's not going to be an adult and remember that right 28 months old but when you set enough of those up over the years he will always remember man my dad he would always stop what he's doing and give me the time of day. He would always teach me something new. He would always bring me into his world. That is like a man that it takes intentionality to build that because we can easily not. It's easy to walk into a bad relationship. Good job, man. And did you did you play him and whoop him? <laughs> he uh, we, we were trying to get into the stage of uh, setting the pieces up where they go, you know, on the board to start to start a game that was a little bit beyond his, you know, comprehension for sure. But he understood that each piece was its own piece and each piece had its own thing and its own name. And that was just so gratifying for me that, yeah, it was amazing. That's good, man. That's a great story. You make me want to go teach my kids chess. Yeah. Chess is fun. Uh, funny thing about chess. I'd never really played. Uh, I knew of the game, of course, but my wife knew how to play. And uh, so she proceeded to beat me in chess 12 or 13 times in a row. I mean, it was brutal because uh, I can't I don't I don't know if I love to win or hate to lose more. But uh, taking those losses was tough. But uh, it was it was good because I learned how to play. And I would say I overtake her more now, even though the other night she she whooped me good. She's she's good at chess. <laughs> she she is. You know, we're talking about two things that just that just mix chess and my dad. So I remember I was about eight years old down in San Diego and we're at my grandpa's place. He's since passed. I didn't spend a lot of time with him. Um, but looking back, it gives me a glimpse of who my dad is. So here's my grandpa sitting down on his recliner. And he's got like a TV tray. We can all picture the old school TV trays. Put your TV dinner on. And he's got the chess board. He says, sit down, boy. He might have said, son, we'll, we'll go, son. That sounds good. And I sit down and he teaches me the game of chess and he beat me over a dozen times using that four move checkmate. And man, I was hot. You could probably see the steam coming off my head and he had no mercy. Set him up again, boy, set him up, set him up, son. And again, and again, and again. And, and now that I look back, I'm like, okay, my dad grew up in this kind of a household where it, it could be a little bit ruthless. And if you want to win, you got to earn the win. We're not going to just give away the, the W. So I don't know. That's a takeaway. It devalues the game to give away to give to give the game away you know to go easy on someone takes the value of winning away from the game and that's something we can't lose in my opinion i think i think competition and life are so closely correlated and related that to take competition out of life would be detrimental to a human to the individual to a society to the world so i hope we i hope we refrain from doing that in the future as a as a society and can you imagine a workforce 
that gets upset. Well, why, why would they do that? Why wouldn't they have just taken it easy on me? Why, why didn't they just do it? It's, this is how work is, man. You, you got to contribute. You got to participate. You, you got to function. No handouts. But we need grace and compassion, too. But, yeah, he, uh, he throttled me. And uh, my dad and I, we've talked numerous times when he plays my daughters. You know, it's his only set of grandkids over here. And I'm watching him. And sometimes he goes easy. I'm like, Dad, come on now. Ah, you're right. <laughs> Those are my granddaughters, though. It's tough. All right. So let's uh, let's go back to your to your father and let's talk about his relationship with your mother. How how was it? Yeah, so that one's tough um, because my mom, again, she left when I was in about fifth grade and they, they never reconciled. Um, he never talked trash about her one time. Uh, she never talked trash about him. Neither one tried to drive a wedge. What I find interesting looking back is nowadays I feel like both 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 parents are worried about that. So there's no wedge. Um, they just never talked now, ever t- since the divorce. I didn't really talk to my mom a whole lot about it, nor my dad. And, and my mom, she died when I was about 22. Uh, so I went help help bury her in Alaska. Um, so I don't have a chance to ask her those kind of questions. Uh, but my dad remarried when I was in high school. So that's probably a better marriage to talk about. They're still married. Uh, gosh, we're talking 93. So sinking on 30 years uh, this May, 30 years this May. Uh, and both my dad and my stepmom, they're totally different kind of people. Uh, she is more kind of a people pleaser. Uh, she's very accommodating. She'll be the one to do the dishes every night and make sure everyone's got something to eat and taking care of things. And I'm, she's a, she's a servant. Uh, and my dad has more of a, I think you might've mentioned this earlier. He'll kind of command the room. Uh, you'll know that my dad is there. My dad is great at speaking and teaching and instructing. Uh, so it's interesting when they interact, but they both made a decision that, there's no falling out of love. They both made a decision that they're going to be intentional daily on making it work because it matters. And it is clear as day when I watch them interact. It is a choice. Uh, if they ever have a disagreement, they are not going to have that in front of me. They know when to kind of keep calm. And I know they'll talk about it later. So they, they've given me a great model, great example of, I, should, I think I want to do some of this stuff with my wife. You know, so yeah, great relationship with the stepmom. Uh, her name is Marilyn. His name is Matt. Um, yeah, I have nothing negative to say about that relationship. They have none. I gotcha. I gotcha. I Which, can make something up if you want me to. I could just create something. No, no, no. Don't do that. Tell, tell me, uh, why do you think, so both of them were intentional, just kind of like we've been talking about all show. Yeah. Um, what are, what are, the, what other things? kept them together or kept that relationship so, so strong. So I don't know how deep we want to get in faith. Um, and again, you, you can steer the course here as you see fit. Um, but the rule book, the playbook that, that they go by has a pretty good foundation on relationships, on how to treat people, how to care for people. And if the Torah had it, if the Quran had it, if the Bible has it, if any religious book has that, I'm interested in that, having a good example on how to treat and, and, and how to take care of others and love each other. Um, and they took the greatest commandment to love each other, uh, you know, like yourself. They took that to heart. Um, and it, it's also tough because it, I hear a lot of people really quick to be the victim. Oh, man, my, my dad did all this nasty stuff. My mom, this and I got it. I got it. It makes for an interesting story. It's a captivating story to tell. But who really wants that for their own children? 
Nobody does. Nobody wants their kids to go through that. So why, why are people in such a hurry to tell that story? It's like they want people to know how hard their life was. We, I have other challenges in life. It was not my dad. It was absolutely not my dad. My dad gave me a great example. And I'm hoping you'll have my kids on in a decade, right? And you'll be like, hey, kids, tell me about your dad. And they'll have the same story. Can you imagine if households all across America said, let's stop trying to make victims and let's try to make this stuff work? You know, so my dad gave me an example that works. And, and I, I believe wholeheartedly uh, the New Testament um, has given him a, a role model on, on on marriages. Beautiful. And, and you know, I think that the functionality of uh, Christianity is. Maybe, you know, one of those wonders of the world or whatever, because I do believe it's a great just like you said, a playbook and and, the, you know, to utilize it as a playbook is um it's wonderful because it, it works many times it works so here's my next question and and you've been talking you've been giving a lot of praise to your father and i'm going to try to get you to think a little bit on this but if you were to go back in time to you know 43 years ago and whisper in your dad's ear some advice about raising you what would that advice be Creating a significant emotional event is tough, but we remember them. We remember maybe there's one teacher from high school or, or middle school. Maybe with all the moving around I had, I remember a single one teacher of all 12th grade, all 12 years, one, uh, because she had these conversations, significant emotional events. Well, creating them is really, really tough and really challenging. So, I look back in the most significant, significant emotional events with my dad. And they were, I got in trouble and it's how my dad responded. I have actually a few of those in my head. So if I had to give him some, some advice, it would be to sit me down and say, son, if you continue this route, you will not have these doors open. You will close these doors. Now you go handle your life teenager boy, you go make these decisions, but I'm going to tell you, these are how doors open and these are doors closed. These are the consequences outside of the house. So my dad set a really good expectation in the house. No doubt. I, th I think we spoke about that. I knew what was right and what was wrong in the house, but my idea of consequences didn't really go much further than the doors. I'm like, okay, if I do this thing wrong, I'm in trouble in the house. Um, so my, when I was in uh, 12th grade, I was worried. I was not going to be able to join the military. I had already signed up. Then I got in trouble a couple of times. I got caught not shoplifting at the store I was working at, a sporting goods store, but just allowing kids on the soccer team and the baseball team to come in. And I'd give them free stuff and I'd try to hide it in the back. Of course, they got caught. And I got fired. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this could ruin my enlistment in the military. I didn't think about consequences expanding past the here and the now. Well, my dad had something I didn't have. He had perspective, just like you do at your house. You have perspective. Your kid doesn't. And uh, yeah, I wish um, I would have had more perspective of the future, things that I will ruin or things that I'll open. If I make good choices, that would have been nice. God, I wish I, I wish I had that too. I agree. A hundred, a uh, hundred percent on that. That's a great, that's a great answer. Thank you so much. Hey, I wanted to bring up something I heard the other day on uh, the, the valuetainment podcast. I can't remember the, that guy's name, but um, he's a he's a host of a podcast. He's seems like a conservative guy, definitely a Christian. Um, but he said that you know a, 
a child goes through three stages, especially a son and a father. He's talking about a son and a father relationship. And he says the first stage is where your son adores you. He thinks you're his hero. He thinks you're the greatest. Yeah. Patrick bet David. That's him. Uh, he, uh, your son thinks you're a hero, idolizes you, you know, wants every bit of your attention. And then all of a sudden, eight, nine, 10 years in, it flips. It goes to 100% disdain for everything that you have to say. The word, you're, none of your decisions have been good. You're a terrible father. You're a ter- terrible husband. You're terrible. And that might last for eight, nine, 10 years or even longer, and it may never end. And then the third is when that son realizes how many times his father was correct, (laughs) how miss and how totally wrong that he had gotten it about his dad, about his father. And, you know, I would say that's so true about me for sure, because, you know, I can look back and my dad was not there a lot from the age, you know, 13 to 20. There was a gap where he was making, you know, making something of himself, working hard, learning uh, sales, learning IT, learning fiber optics. You know, that's the type of stuff that he was he was doing. But, you know, and I had this disdain for him for sure. You know, I just thought he was the worst. But looking back now, I see how hard he worked and how much he put into uh, evolving himself. And at the same time, still loved me very much and and showed me that as much as he could. Uh, Maybe obviously we can all do better, but he was trying. And I just related to that story so much that that Patrick uh, David told on his show that, you know, I wanted to share that here. And I also wanted to ask you, is that, is that, you know, the flow of how it went for you too with your father? Yeah, that's a, what an interesting flow. And I, I think I agree that that happens more often than not. Right. Some people listening, like, that's not my story. And some people like, yes, that is precisely what happened in my family. Um, I don't know if I've shared this with you before about the funnel concept, like you're putting a windshield wiper fluid in your vehicle. Okay, so you have a funnel and you got the, the, the kind of the nipple tip, the, the, the tiny part that you put face down. So I want, to, I want everyone to picture that funnel. You got the big wide end, then it, it narrows. Put the big wide end on a table. That represents freedom. Do what you want. Listen to what you want. Say what you want. Do what you want. But then as they get older, now you're moving up the funnel. As they're getting older and me having the seven daughters and then a little boy – this is really true for my daughters. I, I tend to care about what they listen to, who they hang with, how they talk, what they what they're thinking, their opinions. I care about this stuff. Now, the funnel gets tighter and tighter. That is us as a parent restricting. Like, wait a minute. I don't approve of my 13 year old listening to this music restriction. I don't approve of who she's hanging out with and, and going hanging over restriction. I don't like what she's got on her phone restriction. And as that restriction comes on teenagers, now they're about to leave the house. And if that is how they remember us, that's tough. Absolutely, they're going to think that we don't get it. They're going to think that, not that we're old fuddy-duddies maybe, but they're going to be like, my dad is so out of touch. He just doesn't, he doesn't get it. He doesn't know. And so what do they do? They go and rebel a little bit. Then they learn. They get their own experiences. Then they look back and say, dang, my dad got it. Okay, well, take that funnel and flip it. So we got the tiny, narrow part that's on the ground now. 
and it's going to open up at the top. So at the bottom, you got the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old. You got restrictions. It's not healthy to do these things. I'm not going to let you. In year three, I really don't need to give you the why, but as you get older, I'm going to start giving you the why more and more often. This is why this is good. This is why this isn't. And by the time they're 15, 16, 17, the funnel's opened up and your relationship's starting to change. Instead of being the disciplinarian, and when they leave the house, they're 18, they are not going to call home to the disciplinarian. They're not going to call home to get chastised and hear about how, what they did was wrong. But if you have a relationship with them that's kind of evolved, because that's, that's our role as parents when they leave, man, we got to set them up for success and, and we got to kind of guide them if they want the guidance at that point. So I think that once I signed my paperwork for the army and once my dad said, okay, my son has made a choice. His pretty mature choice is joining the military and he's about to go and do big boy things. He started to kind of change the relationship and now I got a lot more freedoms and flexibilities. Like I need you to experience this now before you're bombarded with it in the army. Um, it's really hard to explain to someone that hasn't been in the military, but um, I, I needed that. I needed some freedom, flexibility to make my own choices. Um, I don't know, man. I, I did. I, when I left high school, I did think my dad, my dad's not so smart with a lot of stuff. Then I was like 21 years old. Like, dang, my dad is the smartest guy on the planet. I did. I had a sense of that too. Well, I think, you know, it's almost, I've been fumbling around with this idea and this idea has been around the sales and marketing for a long time, but the idea of, uh, being a guide, um, you don't want to convince somebody to buy something uh, you want to guide them to, to buying something that they want. Right. And I think that you could probably parlay that into fatherhood as well. Um, just that, Hey, go ahead. You're driving this car, but I'm going to sit in the passenger seat and let you know, Hey, you need to exit right here. Cause the road's closed here in a couple miles or whatever the case is. So I love that, uh, analogy there of, of being a guide. So, and Nikki would say, uh, being the guy, <laughs> he, he says, if you can be the guy for you'll never want for anything in the world, you got to be the guy, though, that, that can give people what they want. And, and another thing that's tough is I've watched some parents take that funnel to an extreme like, oh, my 14 year old. I'm just going to say yes to everything. Where is that healthy? We are called to raise our children. And if they want the, the, the buddies, the friends, they have literally every household on the planet can go be that buddy and friend. But in this house. We're going to set up our relationship a little bit differently. So I don't know, man, a lot, a lot of ends of that, a lot of spots in the spectrum and the pendulum swings too far either way. It's tough raising kids. It's really tough. Yeah. Speaking of it being tough to raise children, let's move into, um, to society a little bit and how, you know, uh, modernity and, and society around us, uh, makes or breaks raising our children. What's, you know, what are the societal factors that are going to come into play when bringing up young adults? And one of my favorite authors, uh, which you and I have discussed a little bit, Luke, is Will Durant. Uh, he was a historian that that studied civilizations uh, across history. Uh, he wrote a series of books called The Story of Civilization. Um, and I just... I haven't read all of his books, but I'm getting close to, you know, a lot of them. And he just brings so much insight to the world uh, that 
you know, these things have happened before in other civilizations, these things that pop up uh, that we're talking about on the news that we're talking about amongst each other. A lot of these things have happened prior. And I want to read a quote to you and I want to get your take on it. So you ready? Yes, sir. Let's do it. A nation is born stoic and dies Epicurean. At its cradle, religion stands and philosophy accompanies it to the grave. In the beginning of all cultures, a strong religious faith conceals and softens the nature of things and gives men courage to bear pain and hardship patiently. At every step, the gods are with them and will not let them perish until they do. Even then, a firm faith will explain that it was the sins of the people that turned their gods into the avenging wrath. Evil does not destroy faith, but strengthens it. If victory comes and war is forgotten and security and peace, then wealth grows. The life of the body gives way in the dominant classes to the life of the senses and mind. Toil and suffering are replaced with pleasure and ease. Science weakens faith even while thought and comfort weaken virility and fortitude. At last, men begin to doubt the gods. They mourn the tragedy of knowledge and seek refuge in every passing delight. Achilles is at the beginning and Epicurus at the end. After David comes Job and after Job comes Ecclesiastes. That's Will Durant uh, written in the book, Our Oriental Heritage, first published in 1935. So um, basically, you know, the, the meaning of the quote uh, at the beginning is, these cultures and these civilizations, they start with a strong religion, uh, clear goals in mind of what they believe, what they don't believe, what's good, what's bad. And uh, when success comes, when they if, if we're talking about Rome at the end of them conquering, you know, 33 percent of the entire world uh, and they've and they felt accomplished. And they've stopped being, you know, the conquerors, you know they start to, to live in decadence. Uh, they start to live in this, the time of, uh, uh, Nikki like this bread and circuses. Basically they've, they've life has become too easy. And my first question for you, Luke is, is that where we're at in America today? I ha I kind of think we are with a good chunk. And the movie that comes to mind, maybe you've seen it, uh, Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes demolition man. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So Wesley Snipes and Sylvester Stallone, cop and criminal, and they're banging it up and they eventually get cryo frozen. Then they're brought up. I, I don't know. A hundred years later. I don't recall the amount of time. And everything's peaceful. Crime is gone. Well, Wesley Snipes come out, comes out and starts wreaking havoc, but everyone's soft. Nobody knows how to handle. Nobody knows how to deal. OK, take that concept. And remove crime, but just nobody knew how to deal with this thing. No, no one knew how to handle this stuff. So as a high school teacher, and again, short answer is yes. I think that we are very close, not there, but very close. In my high school, I got kids that um, based on how they identify with gender, they asked to sit out of conversations that have to do with gender. So let's put my own perspective on gender ideology out. Let's put yours out. Let's look at what I just said. High school seniors that want to sit out of a conversation because gender is being discussed. They're running, they're fleeing. And when we do that, you don't get a seat at the table. Your voice isn't heard. Nobody knows your perspective. Nobody knows your triumphs. Nobody knows your hurts. There's no way to fix anything. We just run and we hide. 
Well, who taught that person to do that? What parent would teach that? Okay, so let's look back in just the last hundred years. All right, let's 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 really look under the microscope because that is pretty small in the vast, you know, timeline. Um, people talk about the greatest generation. I'm not here to make a case that they are or aren't, but people talk about the generation. World War II affected America. Pretty much every section of America was affected by either going overseas or knowing someone overseas, a son or daughter overseas, a parent overseas, or running the factories here, or people are affected at the schools. People's dads are gone in the factories. People are gone. Sports, man, we we had to fill in the sport for baseball. It affected everybody. America had skin in the game. They did. Now, those people come home and we can call them the greatest generation. I, I do actually enjoy that debate. But now those adults are having kids. And they're trying to explain the best that they could. This is why we fought World War II. And however it is they phrase it, they would generally sum it up. They'd make it, they'd oversimplify it. There's all this evil. There's just nasty. And grown men had to go do grown things. We need to protect our freedoms. I summarized. Of course, there's more to that story. So now those kids are growing up. Those kids did not fight in World War II. They were too young. They weren't asked to. Those kids eventually become adults. Well, they didn't have to fight for the things they were taught by people that did. They were just taught by people that did. And so and so it goes till eventually you get Vietnam. Well, in Vietnam, people were dodging the, the, the fight. Oh, but that's different. Vietnam and World War II different. I got it. But the principle, the concept I'm trying to make is World War II, America had skin in the game. And now have we devolved where people are flat out avoiding the draft, everything they could. We've had presidents, presidents that and candidates that wanted to dodge the draft. I'm not upset at that. I'm just saying it is. So now we remove that. Now it's an all volunteer force and our all volunteer force, man, only 21 percent of people that could join the military are even eligible. And how do you get them to want to serve? So this is not a military conversation, but I'm thinking we have lost the need to go do a lot of hard things. I'm not advocating for war. That's not what I'm doing. But we've lost the, 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 the need to, to have to do these things. So now people are in a hurry to be offended. Why? Because we're running out of human rights things to debate in America. We have a constitution, love it or not, we can fix our problems. Identify it. Let's bring it up. Boom. This is bad. Let's fix it. Well, when we fixed enough stuff, what do we have left to do except for just kind of complain about some stuff? What are we complaining about, man? Your house is $250,000. Well, you know. No, I don't know. What are you complaining about? You have four cars in the driveway. Two parents and a kid, you got four cars. What what are we complaining about? You're making a hundred- Yeah, we make fun of ourselves. First world problems. (laughs) First world problems. I'm like- Nope. Dude, I found out. I found out one of the colleges, maybe in Virginia, they put out a list of things that you you shouldn't say anymore. And first world problems is one of them because it insinuates we're better than other people. In other words, we joke about a first world problem. Well, that language is now offensive. We're just finding things to be offended about. Um, And we wouldn't have to do that if if people would kind of go back and say, okay. We need to work hard. I believe in hard work. We need to actually care for our country. Where, whatever country you're in, I don't care. Care for where you are. Care for what you're part of. Be, man, I'm going to go on, get on a soapbox here. I didn't mean to do all that. No, it's it's quite fine. Um, so you're saying uh, we have a lack of duty. Is that how you might summarize it? We don't have any. Du- our, our men don't have a 
uh, a sense of duty to go serve something greater than themselves. Do you think that's that's the 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 crux of the problem? Holistically, yes. Clearly, not a hundred percent. We still have people that are since 2020 with all the Black Lives Matter and all the protests and the riots and the defund the police. We still have individuals that choose to get in the hard line of work of the police force. So it's not everybody. Right? We have some people want to get out and have a sense of duty. But I think it's part of the problem Lee, is um, if we demasculate men. And if we twist, I mean, totally twist what it means to be a man. What do we expect boys to do when they turn 18 or 25 or 30? How do we expect them to be? That's a real question. Oh, well, we're interchangeable. We're not. We are not interchangeable pe- people. And so um, I have a men's group in my church that I lead. And, and we, man, we cover this all the time. But what does it really mean to be a man? How are men portrayed in movies? How are men portrayed in culture? There, there's lots of there's lots of answers there. Um, I, I would say. What does it mean to be a man? Um, uh, stand up for your character, be a protector of your family, um, put your family first as far as your priorities go, um, continue to grow and gain wisdom and knowledge. That that To me, that's what it means to be a man. That's what comes to mind. Yep. And it's interesting. Um, and... All, all the arguments and debates we have with, with LGBTQ. And if somebody is trans and, and they go from being a man to a woman, we can picture it, it, dra- drag queens, right? Uh, men that are dressed up as women. It's very interesting to me that they will go to the extreme of what a woman does. It's almost stereotypical. The fancy nails, the pretty hair, the fancy dresses. In other words, we recognize there are differences Right. A caricature is is a great phrase. Yeah. We're like, this is what a woman looks like. So when a man wants to be a a trans woman, they go to that extreme of what to think a woman is. Right. In other words, we do identify there are differences. And if there are differences, we need to respect masculinity, just like we have to respect femininity. And And I think that our culture is just trying to mesh everything together. And it's super confusing for our teens. Um, and I know I do not think we need a ward to bring our teens back. That is not what I think at all. Um, but I think that we as a country talking about decadence, right? That was your question, uh, your conversation earlier uh, with Will Durant. I think that, yeah, we, we, we've become soft. We have, we've become really, really soft. Um, and it's easy to complain about things that just, they matter to you, but in the big picture, I mean, we just, we should deal, we should process, not complain about everything. I got a question for you. Earlier, you explained how you use Christianity as a uh, value template or a value set to be a good father, a good husband, um, all of those things. Yes. Can a man or a woman alone without religion or without a school of thought create his or her own values? Is that possible? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the question is always going to be, where did they come from? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I got another quote. Uh, this is again from Will Durant. This one's from Lessons of History published in 1968. The greatest question of our time isn't communism versus individualism, not America versus Europe and not East versus West. It is, can man bear to live without God? And, you know, end quote. I think that this quote is um, 
you know, regarding what you and me are talking about right now. Do we need, does, does society need to uh, have a value set, you know, pushed upon them or can men and women create their own values? And what does that look like if they can create their own values and can create their own uh, character composition, I guess is, is what I'm looking for. You know, uh, is what does that look like for Americans? Or do you believe that Christianity is the answer that you, you gotta, you know, you gotta dive into Christianity? Yeah. So the very direct answer that's going to offend somebody, uh, I'll tackle the last piece. Yes. I, I see Jesus Christ as the answer. Um, however, um, can you imagine Leah, when did you, when did you uh, get engaged? Do you remember what year you were, you got engaged? Okay, so let's take it back to 2018, a year before you engaged. Let's just say you're dating your wife and you come up to her and said, you know what? You're going to love me and I'm going to propose and you're going to say yes and you better love me forever. Who's going to respond to that? I wouldn't. She probably wouldn't. That's exactly I'm what guessing. I said. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, man, it worked. <laughs> so, no, but, no, that's not what I said. I'm just kidding. Yeah, but what you're doing is you're pursuing her. You're saying, I, I care about you. I love you. I'm here. I'm pursuing you. But she had to make a choice. And in your mind, you knew you were the best man for her life. You knew you were. Because you wanted her to marry you. You're like, I'm the one. Pick me. Pick me. Ooh, ooh. Right? And you're thinking you're the best one for me, but you're pursuing her, but you can't make her. So me saying that following Jesus is the answer doesn't mean it should be forced. It is completely optional. It is a 100% choice. And anyone that tells you otherwise has to be able to back that up. The problem is they can't. It should never be forced. It should never be forced. And if you can't back it up, don't bother saying it. So Back to the values. If we all make up our own values, I think that's fine until a nation just crumbles. Just take the two of us. Um, if our values are drastically different, how do we ever get along? Ever. Ever. We, we couldn't. Everything would be, I want this. Well, I want this. Uh, pick a topic. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but pick any topic about stealing, shoplifting. I My value is... If, yeah, my value is that if I see it, it's mine. Forget the law. The law is made by men. And every single law is imposing a set of values and morals. We le we legislate morality. We say that stealing is wrong. So let's legislate that. Let's make a law. Every law legislates morality and laws are made by people. We just tend to agree that stealing is wrong. But what if my morals and values say it's not? Oh, well, you shouldn't hurt other people. I love this one. Well, as long as it doesn't hurt other people, let's back that up. Why is that wrong? Legit question, because you have to go all the way back with this morals and values. If my morals and values allow me to hurt other people, you're going to get mad. And so will everybody else. Those are my morals and values. And what if my values leak? Because this is where it's going in our most Western state. Now, it would be Hawaii in California. Um, what if my morals and values, it's OK for me to have an attraction towards somebody that's underage? Pause and consider that question. But that's a real question when you take this out there. Why not? Those are my morals. OK, so basically what you're saying is, is if there's not a set of moral values um, pressed upon a society, then you're asking for. Uh, something is, uh, you know, 
in, you're you're basically making it fair game for an individual to act in opposition of a society or what most of the people would hate, which I would say or dislike. I would say that's happening anyways. I mean, that's, that's exactly what's happening. So is that what you're saying? The lack of Christianity and the lack of moral values is the reason why we have people in California, uh, you know, it being okay to be a pedophile in California. You're not too, but yes and no. First off, you let in with being pressed upon. I'm not here to impress upon my morals and values whatsoever. It's not my role. It's not my job. It's not, it's just not my job to push my stuff. Now, if a society as a whole says these things are detrimental to others, let's make a law. I think it's detrimental for a 43 year old to go have relations with an eight year old. I think we should probably have a law against that. And I, I'm, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with pressing things like that. But if, if people come up with their own morals and their own values, they will, as a matter of fact, rub up against other people's all the time. Now, who wins that? How do we decide whose whose truth is true? How do we do, we just walk away and pretend that interaction didn't happen? My right and wrong is different from yours. Well, which one of us is right and wrong? Where does it come from? And if it just comes up in, just inside of us, how do we? I don't know. Let me push back for a second, then. So, I would say that probably not in your case because you have a a discipline and routine and a military background. But I would say the Christian value of pity is part of the reason why we have a victim culture to begin with. I think 2000 years of, of being pitiful towards, um, you know, uh, the lesser endowed or the lesser uh, uh, talented set of people have made it to where it's okay to, um, you know, be third or fourth place or it's okay to um you know it just i would say pity is is not a good value let me just say that and that's something that christianity is very um uh apt to so where did that phrase the christian value of pity where did that originate from i don't think i've ever heard that phrase before uh or do you have do you have a couple examples? Well, I mean Jesus Jesus loved the Jesus loved the loved the poor. He also uh, was a person that uh, was the the flock leader of sheep, which you know sheep is is not something that's going to be. Uh, I would say that's you know a lower not a lower class, but being led around not being able to make decisions on your own. I feel like that's what Christianity portrays. And that's my problem with it to begin with. I follow. So we'll get to the, the sheep thing in, in one second. I think, let me know if, if you mean it this way. When you say pity, are, are you are you putting that in the same definition as compassion? Would you put pity and compassion as the same thing? Close. They're, they're related for sure. Yeah. So I, I definitely 100% believe in showing compassion for others. Um, how we define it may, may, may matter. Uh, yeah. I, I think that having compassion for people uh, that are in tough spots, if we have no compassion, then it's like, oh, you suck, man. Just, just sit there on the side of the road bleeding out. Yeah. I, I don't see that as being a healthy moral value because it shows no value in the person. And it, I've, I happen to value you 
Lee. I know we've never met face to face. We've never shaken hands. But as a person, you're a husband, a father. And as we talked, you clearly care. But even if I didn't know all that stuff, I see the value you have as a person. You have you have a lot of value. People around you, that value you. You add value to your house. You care for your wife and your and, and your, your family. And if I were to see you bleeding out and I said, I have no compassion for you, I just devalued you as a human being. I, I, I don't get along with that. Now, I think sometimes we get mixed in with modern day culture and politics that, oh, you identify this way. Well, you're dead to me. Whoa, where did that come from? That's a hard line stance. But I think showing value in people and compassion is, is showing love. And if someone is down and out, we have some choices. We can help bring them up or we can just give them stuff. I'm against just giving them stuff. I'm against that. But I am in favor of helping people get up to their potential. But that's a whole conversation by itself, isn't it? I, honestly, though, I, I, uh, I didn't have a good comeback there to articulate my ideas on. I, it's more of a feeling for me that doesn't sit well when I, I mean, I, I went, uh, 16 years to a Methodist church, the same Methodist church, uh, and took so much value from it. Don't get me wrong. I think, uh, there are plenty of things within Christianity that are, uh, life-changing and, uh, structure building and really, really great for an individual. Don't, I mean, I think uh, Christianity as a religion, as a functional religion, is uh, the greatest we've ever seen, obviously. I mean, we, the calendar, time, everything's based around, you know, Christianity. And, it, and, it, and it's worked. And it's taken time and effort to, to make it work. Um, but there's some things that I can't, that I have not been able to overcome with it as well. Uh, you know... If you don't take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, then you're going to hell. I, I mean, I'm a no on that. It's like, uh, first off, that's basically saying, you know, who's going to heaven and hell, which I'm a no on. And it's also just totally disregarding all the stuff that happened with Constantine and, and the people that decided what books and what to put in the New Testament and not put in the New Testament and all, a bunch of stuff that was like, well, there's some manipulation going on there, which I can't, you know, I can't get over that either. And the other thing is one more thing I can't get over is I feel like describing heaven and hell, uh, takes away from current life. But I feel like believing that the next life is better than this one, uh, takes away from human potential, uh, in, in the current life. And I, so that's, you know, that's kind of my crux is there. No, th those are, those are huge. Those are, those are big roadblocks, man. Yeah. I, I will absolutely validate 100% of what you just said. However, now, you know, there's a, however, um, volition is the number one reason I found that people don't, um, don't choose to read the New Testament or even just to hear anything about Jesus Christ. In other words, we, we, we do things of our choice, our own volition. And I don't like the way this sounds, so I'm out. I don't like what this could mean for my life, so I'm out. Well, neither of those things matter to me more than this. What is true? Now, if what is true, you don't like how it sounds, 
Well, these facts don't care about your feelings. That That's not Luke DeLee. That's just, they even have t-shirts about that. You know, facts don't care about your feelings. So the problem is we, if, if these are the factual things and uh, we can prove about 90% of it and the other 10%, there's some real faith in there. Every religion to include atheism, there is a leap of faith you must take for that set of beliefs, the word beliefs in there. So you, you don't like how it sounds or you don't like what it means for your life. And so a lot of people are like, dude, I'm out. But what if it is true? So let's, let's take some of that at face value without digging too deep. If what Jesus said truly is true, and this, this is tough to hear, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and it is through me. Okay, if that is true, that means Muslims, I'm sorry. Hindus, I'm sorry. You could go on and on down the list because every single one of these religions are at odds with core beliefs. So I see that bumper sticker that says coexist. Have you, have you seen this bumper sticker? Like the C? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, what does that mean? Does it mean we should just get along? I'm cool with that. But those religions are all at major odds with each other. None of them can be true together. Christianity cannot be true along with Islam. They cannot both be true. Just one or neither. Um, and it's like that down the road. So, okay, like, well, which one's real then? Which one's true? And so people over history, man, I mean, some really, really sharp people, atheist people. I said, I'm going to investigate this and prove this whole thing to be a sham. And there are books after books after books written by these people said, dang, at the end of the day, this stuff is solid. I mean, doing all of the investigation, I mean, these people are at a loss. Like I, I don't, I did not expect to find this, this sort of evidence out there. Um, it's a complicated issue, man. Um, because a lot of it involves our choice. Yeah, we could, we could go on and on about it. I, I would say that if, if you're looking for a value template and, and looking for a, a great way to live your life, it's a good choice to make right there. And, you know, C.S. Lewis, you know who C.S. Lewis is? I'm sure you do. I sure do. Um, yeah. 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 He wrote a book called um, The Screw Tape Letters. I've read it a few times where it describes, you know, some of uh, what Christians and, and the like would say, you know, demons are speaking to you and stuff like that. And it, but it describes practical things that happen in life. And it was such a great book that I, I would recommend that book to anybody. C.S. Lewis, The Screw Tape Letters. Um, now, all that being said, uh, we kind of got off of society there for a few minutes. Um, has society lost religion and has society lost God? So I've heard this phrase, uh, a post-Christian era. And you look at data of how many, especially youth, 18 year olds, uh, when they leave the house, they're also walking away from churches and from faith. And I mean, we could go down the road of why that is, you know, why, but not even digging into that. Yeah. We, we have a lot more people that are choosing to walk away from faith, but it's a choice. It's always a choice. Now I would argue though, that culture has tended to be wrong time and time and time and time and time again, decade back, decades, decades, decades. So if this modern day culture chooses to walk away from faith, does that mean that culture is all of a sudden right about something? Is it a roller coaster going up and down? Will we look back in the 2010s and 2020s and say, wow, I can't believe we did this stuff. Yeah, maybe. Um, so just cause yeah, <laughs> man, a U.S. history teacher in 2050 is going to look back on us and say, what the heck? 
Yeah. So, I mean, if, if people, if people choose to walk, um, I mean, they're, they're clearly welcome to, I, I think that the advent of technology has made people, I'm not sure how to wrap that up. Technology, what it is today is also different. People can just get wrapped up in something and walk away from everything else. They can isolate, they can find their own truth, whatever that means. Um, 2023, yeah, dude, we, we got that. some issues. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So we'll say yes there, you know, we've kind of, and even, and even if you want to argue, there's a lot of statistics out there. Oh, there's more Christians now than ever before. Uh, well, there's also, you know, 7.6 billion people, you know, on the face of the earth right now. And just because there's more Christians now doesn't mean the proportions more, you know what I mean? So I would say we, we've kind of lost, you know, religion as a, um, uh, a big piece of our society and, you know, uh, us discussing religion, uh, started with, do we need it? Uh, is it something that we have to have to continue on? And if the answer is no, what does the world look like without it? I think it depends on what the religion is first off. Um, but do we need it? Gosh, that word religion itself just to me implies a building It implies a set of rules like those are the top two things that come to mind when someone says religion. I think about a physical building and I think about rules. I don't, I don't think a lot well, of people are. That's how it was designed. I mean, that's what, that's where it started. You know, R Rome moved from pantheism, from paganism to for believing in uh, tons of gods to Christianity because Constantine realized, Oh, it's a better way. It's a better uh, uh, strategy to rule a people. And that's why Christianity grew like it did is because Rome adopted it. And, uh, you know, that piece right there to me puts a big, ugly mark on the word religion, just like what you were describing. I think religion does mean, you know, a building and rules and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, but I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, I would say that's exactly what it was is yeah. a set of rules. And yeah. And, and you know what it's missing? It's missing, uh, one idea and one word I love. So I don't think that we, we should go to church. I think that we should recognize that we are the church. We people, Jesus didn't have a building that said, all right, guys, it's Sunday morning, nine o'clock. Never, not once, not once. It was not for Jesus. It was a people. And then that brings me to the other piece, which is a relationship. And so different religions have different ways to get to where, where they say that they're going to go. But you know, just because today we're talking about the Bible, but Jesus was kept coming back to relationships, to relationships, to relationships again and again and again. And if we can get the image of a building out of our head, even though that's where we can go to gather and have like minded individuals. So there's value in that. But still, man, the image of a, a building doesn't really do much for me. Um, and the idea of a whole bunch of rules. You know, having a whole bunch of rules that doesn't do anything for what if we could strip away these rules? I mean this wholeheartedly. This is for someone that from someone that follows Christ. What if we could strip away all rules, 100% of them? And now we say, okay, what did Jesus say? He said, follow me and love each other. That's actually a pretty parsed down version of what he had to say. Man, people try to trap him. Which one of these commandments, which one of these rules is most important? Dude, love one another. Dang. Okay, if you follow Christianity, that's what he says, number one. All these rules, man, it keeps people out of a faith. 
it makes people pretty hesitant to get involved in a faith. And then Lee, as soon as we have all these rules, someone comes to the church and like, oh, there's Lee. There's Luke, man. I saw them just last weekend at the strip club. Oh, Lee and Luke must be hypocrites. Why, why am I going to go to a place full of hypocrites? I get it, dude. When you lay down all the rules, you better follow them all or else you're a hypocrite. So I have an issue with the word rules, dude. Well, but, but that's the thing. That's the, the, the rules are what keeps the society going. You know, that's what, that's what we're talking about. It's not the question of communism and individualism, America versus Europe, East and West. It's can man bear to live without God. And when we say, when he's, when he's saying that he's, I don't think he's talking about spirituality right there. I think he's talking about those rules and, and being able to not self-destruct without those rules. And, but here's the thing you did just describe the one that probably negates the rest and, and stands the test of time, which is love one another. Uh, and maybe treat people how you want to be treated. You know, the golden, the golden rule. Those are, that's almost the same to me. That's the same love one another and, and mutual yeah, good treatment. Yeah. I, I think that I think the, those are both very real things that we could take on and keep. So I, I guess the question is, without the rule set, let's say the rule set's thrown out the window, which I, you can make a great argument that it has been thrown out the window uh, in America. What what ha- what happens? I mean, are, are we going to are we going to set up our own values? And what are those values going to be? I hope it's not, you know. Uh, every, everybody has their own truth because that sounds like death. That's what it sounds like to me. I agree. No, I, 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 I agree, man. There's, there's so much here to, to, to take apart. Um, if you take away all the rules and all that's left with all that you're left with is love the God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love and love your neighbor like yourself. Boom. When, when pressed, Jesus said, that's, that's what matters. Okay. So let's say we stripped away all the rules and say, okay, I'm going to love each other. Well, now what do I do? How, how do I go about life? What's right and what's wrong? Good news, man. This dude that we're talking about, this Jesus guy, he gave, he gave all of these things, not rules, but the, dude, these are the ways that you want to live. Well, those are rules. I'm not trying to, it's not. Um, everything that he says involves taking care of each other and showing love. Okay. So let's say um, infidelity. Instead of making a law about infidelity, let's say there is no law, right? And we realize that, dude, you went out there, you cheated. Dude, you've got three wives. Dude, you've got this. You've got kids with 16 girls. You've got all these things. Instead of making rules about that, which, I mean, we do need some common ground, but each person's got a relationship with Christ that they got to square away. Not me. Not me. I've got my own junk, man. I've got to square those circles all on my own. I'm not going to get into Lee's business. That's between you and God, right? Now, when you go and physically hurt somebody, I do. I I completely understand why we have laws in the books about hurting people, physically hurting people, physically assaulting. I got it. We need a society not to just crumble. Um, But we're talking about morals and values, man. Um, I'm not here to make a law about LGBTQ. We brought that up a few different times. That's not my role, dude. Uh, Christ said, these are the things I think you should do to love each other and love God. And if you think that your lifestyle, whether you're straight or not straight, if you think it's pairing up with God, dude, that's on you. It's not on me. We, we... I love it because you, I, 
Dude, at the end of the day, you keep going back to the same thing, which is love one another. And and I think loving God is something that is uh, mysterious to most people and it's hard to talk about. But I think I I believe that. Um, God is is more. Uh, related to you as a person than, than you, than most people think. I think the problem is most people think of a guy riding on a cloud or some guy that looks like Zeus or, you know, et cetera, which is such a terrible, it's a silly thing to, uh, which goes to my other problem with religion. And, and that is thinking that humans can understand metaphysics or what God might be. I, I just, to me, that doesn't make any sense to even to try. Um, or to think that it's possible. But I think that uh, your conscience and God are very closely related and your subconscious is very closely related to what all of the people that talk about religion and God uh, throughout history, all the greats is, is, is kind of what they're talking about. In my opinion is, you know, when, when you pray, you, you know, praying, even if you're an atheist, I, I can't remember the book I read, but even if you're an atheist, praying will actually improve your life. Whether you believe in a Christian God, a Muslim God, or whatever kind of God, it will still improve your life. And that to me is some, some hard evidence that, um, you know, that there's something there that people have been talking about something, you know, it's not just total BS. So, but I, I like where you're going. Yeah, I think uh, uh, the Bible is God's way of talking to us. It's for us to read it. Prayer is our way to talk to God. And prayer is a, a, a prayer is tricky. People are, oh man, I, I heard from God. I got got to go do this thing. What does that look like? What does that sound like? What does that feel like? I heard from God. God told me. It's I like how you said subconscious, and I, I go back to Pinocchio with little. Uh, little Jiminy Cricket, right? Um, there's this feeling inside of us. And, and I truly believe even an atheist praying that there's a, a communication channel that's open there, man. You, you're understanding life is bigger than us. Cause if life is just us, bro, that is sad. That is depressing. It's like, what's, what's the point, dude? We're here. We're gone. Smoke. We, we lose meaning. If life is just about us, there's nothing. It can be a really hopeless thought. All right. Just a quick recap. So your father was a military guy, just like you. He, uh, he, he imparted some good discipline on you and, uh, he did a great thing by not talking bad about, you know, your mother when they separated and, and you could have went back and, and your only advice, which was, uh, you know, good advice, but, um, not life-changing in my opinion would have been, give you a little bit more understanding of the doors that are going to open or close for your decisions that you were making as a teenager. That's kind of what you explained to me. And then, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, being intentional as a husband and being intentional as a father is, is a great deed. And it's a duty as a, as a father and husband to have. And, uh, we, we still don't know, what what the nation is going to do without God in its life. But uh, we came to the conclusion that uh, love thy neighbor, know thyself, uh, treat people how you want to be treated is the right way to go. Yeah, I'm with you. With you all the way.
Luke, thank you so much for coming back on the dad hat. And uh, honestly, I look forward to having you again sometime. And if I come back on, dude, I'm going to wear my own hat. I think I have to wear a hat next time. You got to wear a hat. I think, I think, uh, you know, it's almost, it should be a requirement. Yep. I got a couple. I just, now I know I'm on it next time. All right, brother. Thank you. Thanks. Take care, brother.